Under the Tartan Sky, Episode 58, produced 24 January 2019. Scotland. For most, the word conjures up visions of sweeping glens, shimmering lochs, bagpipes, tartans, haggis, shortbread, and more. Well, Scotland is all of that, but it is also a brand, and one that is recognized for premium quality the world over. Today, that brand is being challenged, with produce and other products once labeled as Scottish now being marketed as British. I'm Glenn Moyer, and in a moment, we'll meet Ruth Watson, a former journalist, now Scottish housewife, and founder of a social media campaign, hashtag KeepScotlandTheBrand. That's coming up here, Under the Tartan Sky. Scotland offers many things to many people. Its history is filled with stories of great leaders like William Wallace and Robert the Bruce, of battles like Bannockburn and Culloden. Its culture includes whiskey and tartan, castles and clans. It's a land of great literature, invention and innovation, of sweeping vistas and great glens and shimmering lochs. For millions around the world, Scotland is key to their ancestry, to who they are, to where they've come from. It's a haven for wildlife and a paradise for sport. Indeed, Scotland has something for almost everyone. In 2019, why not plan to visit and discover for yourself just what Scotland has to offer for you? days we all hear a lot about branding, but what is a brand? Growing up in Texas, my first understanding of the word was likely in association with cattle ranching, where cattle were branded, marked with a hot iron, to identify their ownership. In pure form, a brand is a name given to a product or service from a specific source. For example, Coca-Cola. It's a caramel-colored soft drink from Atlanta, Georgia, different from a Dr. Pepper a caramel-colored soft drink from Waco, Texas. Today, though, the word brand has taken on a new meaning. This happened when marketers began to realize a brand was more than a brand name. A brand is the combination of the product's name and the perception of that product's qualities and attributes. Scotch, for example, is a whiskey, but the perception the word scotch brings to a consumer's mind is vastly different from that of an Irish whiskey or a Kentucky bourbon. And while it's true that the term Coke has become almost universal for a soda or soft drink, do we really want to ask for a scotch and be served a whiskey from the USA, Japan, or elsewhere? While this podcast shies away from politics, that scenario is one of the many possibilities as the UK wrestles with Brexit. As talks of the UK negotiating separate trade deals emerge, there have already been instances of the Great British Campaign, wherein products from Scotland, and yes, even England and Wales, are being marketed as British. And yes, I know Northern Ireland is part of the UK, but circumstances there are different, as we'll soon learn. Fearing a loss of identity for Scottish produce and products, and with that, a loss of market share, revenue, and possibly even tourism, in short, a severe impact to the Scottish economy, a true grassroots social media campaign, hashtag KeepScotlandTheBrand, was launched by a concerned citizen, Ruth Watson. Watson worked as a journalist and broadcaster in Orkney and Shetland, where she had a special interest in farming and fisheries, before moving to work on the BBC News and current affairs programs, Speaking Out and Night Moves. In 1995, she won the Commission for Racial Equality's Race in the Media Award. 
For ten years, she lived overseas in Malaysia and Australia. While in Malaysia, she was acquainted with business and political leaders and accepted the role of consultant sub-editor in a local media group. Watson started the hashtag Keep Scotland the Brand campaign last October when she realized the extent of the threat the loss of Scotland's brand identity posed to farming, fishing, rural communities, to Scotland's food and drink sector, and more. To begin our conversation, I asked Watson very simply, what is Scotland the Brand? Scotland is the brand. Uh, One of the things which I became aware of when I lived and worked overseas for many years was that if I said to people that I was British, they would say, ah, London. Uh, If I said, no, no, Scottish. uh, And this dates me a little bit, but they would go, oh, brave heart. And they would smile. (laughs) And and they would be thinking about immediately when you say you're Scottish to, to this is living in Asia. And for many people there, they immediately thought of castles and sweeping vistas with glens and mountains. Also, as importantly, in some ways, they were thinking about the quality of the produce because food and drink in Asia, uh, as I'm sure many of your listeners might be aware, is a bit of a contentious issue. You, you're, you're talking about countries which perhaps don't have such strict food and drink protections in yes. terms of pesticide use and chemical use. So people there are very, those who can afford it, are very aware about the quality of the food coming out of different countries around the world. And Scotland's reputation, for example, uh, Scotch beef, Scotch lamb, even our water. When I lived in in Asia, I would spend a lot of money buying reverse osmosis treated water to try and make sure that there there were no nasties in the water I was giving my children. And for these great big water cooler bottles of water, I could see for twice the price, one litre of Scottish water for sale in the upmarket supermarkets. And it was being marketed as uh, Scottish water filtered for 10,000 years by Scots granite. <laughs> now that's, that's the power of Scotland's brand. Yes. Uh, and, and, and so you would get people who, they would watch, nowadays I suppose it would be Outlander or something similar, they, they would watch Scottish programmes or train spotting or they're watching Scottish programmes and Scottish films and, and looking at the modern culture and looking at the traditional, the heritage and the tartan and the bagpipes and uh, and and thinking, wow, I'd like to go there one day. And in the same way that perhaps in Scotland, you will talk about going out for an Indian meal. People would have Scottish meals. You know, come Burns Night, people, the, the local supermarket, this up marketplace I was lucky enough to live close to, and they would be getting in high quality food and drink, even Scottish potatoes being brought in. And and people would sort of have a, especially you know, like the when when the the salmon fishing season would come in, this the the fish stall would be cleared, and uh, the first line caught salmon that this uh, shop could get its hands on would be flown in and put on display and and sold for a huge amount of money. So Scotland's brand is is worth so much to us as a nation. Uh, it's worth a lot in terms of of our food and drink exports, which are worth millions, millions upon millions to our economy. Uh, but also that translates uh, into perhaps people who want to come on food and drink tourism holidays, or uh, even, for example, uh, in in Kenya, the our our Scotland's reputation for uh, farming practice and and our science base means that Scotland's seed potatoes are valued around the world. 80% of potatoes, seed potatoes exported from the UK come from Scotland. And they're specifically sought after because our climate and the way in which our scientists work with our farmers means that farmers around the world know that they are going to get a quality disease-free product it's ironic you mentioned that because on my trip this past summer, uh, I spent two weeks up on the Black Isle and literally just across the fence uh, from the garden of the uh, cottage that I was staying in was a seed potato uh, field. Uh, that's what it was used for. And, and I had frankly never even heard the term seed potato before. So I can totally relate to what you're saying now about that being a particular Scotch product. 
Well, it is 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 massive to our economy, and the Black Isle is one of the places. Uh, and in fact, the Strath that I'm looking at, Strathmore, I'm looking out my window as the gloaming comes in, and the the colours in the sky are turning the hills in the background. Oh, you're making me homesick. Sh- oh, yeah, different shades of blues and purples, and then there's a mist wraithing across the Strath. There's this temperature inversion over our cold, cold uh, air means that that black soil which I'm looking out across, which goes for miles, that's what Strathmore means, is the long glen, the big glen. And and that is what makes our, our seed potatoes such good quality is because the 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 land and the, the, the climate means that, that a lot of the nasty bugs just can't survive here. And that's one of the problems we've got with the insanity of Brexit because seed potatoes... Uh, which we sell to many countries around the world as part of our membership of the European Union on a tariff-free basis. So Morocco is a hugely important um, part of our uh, export market for seed potatoes, and we get that on tariff-free trade. Now, with tariffs, with an, in a no-deal Brexit, with the tariffs that will come as part of the WTO, that would be a 36% tariff on our seed potatoes, which which just doesn't make them uh, viable as an economic market. And so a lot of farmers in Scotland are really going to face rocky, rocky days ahead. And our, our Scottish brand could be really threatened because the food standards that we have built our reputation on, our farmers have built the reputation of farm-assured Scottish product over the last 25 years. And that is going to take a massive tumble because, again, the USA has made very clear that as part of post-Brexit deals, they want our high food standards to come down to American food standards. Now, America has some of the best and, I'm afraid, some of the worst food standards in the world. So people who can afford it can eat extremely high-quality food. But Americans have got 40% higher rates of food poisoning per head of population because of the industrialized nature of farming and, and, and slaughterhouse practices. And and it's a huge issue if Scotland's food and drink is, is going to be expected to come down because we can't compete on a, you know, a stack them high, sell them low ethos. Our, our Scotland's brand is through and through quality. One of the first things that I discovered, I guess, on my my uh, trips to Scotland, was the pride that r- restaurants uh, that I chose to uh, to frequent um, across the country made a point of informing you as a consumer that they had used locally sourced produce, whether whether it be, uh, as you say, Scotch beef, Scotch lamb, um, whether it was the seafood or the salad or, or the vegetables or whatever it might be. And that was, I guess, my first exposure to the idea of Scotland as a brand. Well, during the uh, 1990s, after, after BSE, the, the infamous mad cow disease, uh, became quite uh, a problem, especially in in England, uh, where farming practices were different. But it did affect Scotland too. Many of Scotland's uh, beef cattle are out on grass and are fed grass or or silage, so they're very naturally fed, and which is very different uh, from from many of the sort of larger farm practices down in England. Um, so. Our farmers were looking at the potential annihilation of their market because, understandably, people didn't know what what BSE was and they certainly didn't want any of it on their plates. And so Scotland's farmers came up with the Farm Assured Scheme, which was the first of its kind in the world and, and still is one of the most successful. And that means that uh, a calf from conception through to birth right through its life to the slaughterhouse and until it ends up on the shelf on in the supermarket in front of you has complete farm-to-fork traceability. That's what Farm Assured means. And that's one of the reasons why uh, Scotch beef is a premium product. If you're a farmer in Scotland and you sell a Scotch beef cow, that Scotch beef name is worth, on average, £140 per head of cattle 
more than a non-Scotch beef product wow. would be. And, and that's significant. And that's one of the reasons why uh, the realization came about that local provenance is good for global sales. The, the, the more local it got, the the higher the premium came on that. And and so the the uh, Scotch lamb and the farm-assured pork came very quickly on the heels of the Scotch beef success story. Let's go back a bit and tell me, when did you first um, sense that, when did you first notice and, and how did you notice that Scotland, the brand, was being threatened and something needed to be done? I first noticed it in an airport in Australia in 2014, I was coming back and I was walking past some of the Scottish produce and I saw the great British haggis and I just about fell over <laughs> my feet. I, like, my neck spun round so fast and I sort of did that high pitch, do you see that, to my husband, <laughs> what, what, what is that? And and we just stood, honestly, in slack-jawed horror going, what is this abomination? And it was a bit of packaging which had the London eye and Big Ben, and and I'm looking at an, uh, a piece of Scottish heritage. Now, okay, it may well be that the Romans first came up with the idea of packing a sheep's stomach full of the sheep. Right. But but it is it has as as with the bagpipes, you know. Well, the, the, okay, the, the similar products, similar musical instruments have been played across across Europe for 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 millennia. However, we have maintained that tradition, and we have made it our own in terms you, know, you can get the, the the haggis and the black pudding and the white pudding and the fruit pudding and the blood pudding there's so many different kinds and it's a scottish thing so for it to for it to be promoted as a london thing and that is a huge part of the problem when when you say british as i found in malaysia if if you say you're british they say london right and 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 that's a big problem for farmers and food and drink producers and tourism and, and you know people across England as well. I have to say, you know, many many people in England feel that that London is this vortex which just sucks every bit of life out the rest of the country. <laughs> so I went from this Australian experience, and then when we moved back in two thousand and fifteen, I. It was sort of like, you know, in mushroom season where you're walking through the woods or the fields and you don't really see anything. And then you might spot one and then you might spot another. And then a couple of days later, you're surrounded by them. And I had a similar experience when I was in the supermarket down the road from me. And I sort of noticed a couple of those half union flags with um, British across them. Um, and I suppose, you know, technically it is correct. But it was new and I noticed it because I'd never seen flags on food before. It just wasn't a thing. And and then you, you would sort of see it in a couple of you know, maybe maybe some of the milk was 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 had this this label on it and maybe a cauliflower or two. But then one day I realized I couldn't find Scottish milk anymore. It was all British milk. And the reason that matters is because Scottish milk is one of the top five milks in the world. Scottish dairy has a world reputation because of the different way our cattle are, are kept. Most of our cattle are kept on grass for the majority of the year. Obviously, they're kept inside during the, the, the winter months uh, for all sorts of animal husbandry and, and for field maintenance reasons. But the majority of Scotland's cattle are kept in the kind of traditional way that we think of as farms rather than these huge industrialized farming zones mm. and and that's why the quality is better you can taste the quality if you have an animal which is uh, on a field is under less stress has uh, is eating grass you have an animal which is is ill less needs fewer medications you know you've got actually a better quality product but you definitely can taste it's one of is why Scottish bakers are, you know, have quite a good reputation is because our shortbread is really, really good because our butter is really, really good. And the fact that I can no longer find Scottish butter in many supermarkets of the own brand in Scotland, in the UK, I don't know if it's what it's like in America, but in the UK, we have the supermarkets have a, a, a cheaper version of, of most products, which is their own brand. Yes. Yes, we have the same here. 
Right. So you go into the supermarket and the own brand up until recently sold Scottish butter. And they sold that Scottish butter across all shops across the United Kingdom. And now it's just British butter and it's just British milk. And that does farmers in England and Wales a disservice as well, because many people want to know where their produce comes from. You're talking about the carbon footprint, people wanting to make ethical choices, people wanting to shop local and to support local businesses. It removes consumer choice. A lot of people like to buy products from particular places. So, for example, if I, when I was down at Wimbledon, I was really lucky and, and I got tickets to the men's Wimbledon finals one year. Somebody just gave them to me because they were a friend and that's the kind of thing people do. And, um, and I went there and I had Kentish strawberries and pims. For the first time I had pims <laughs> with my Kentish strawberries. And Kentish strawberries are really good and they've got a really good reputation it's not going to do a Kentish strawberry farmer any good for their strawberries to be labelled a generic British strawberry. Uh, in the same way that that in in Scotland, our our berries have got a worldwide reputation for quality. Uh, I've spoken to some supermarket managers who say that they actually don't start selling strawberries until the Scottish strawberries come online because they're the best. And so one day I went in to buy carrots, and the carrots I put my hand upon actually. Uh, come from a farm which I can pretty much see because I'm in an elevated position on my house and on on a hill in Scotland and looking across this miles of of farmland I can see the farm those carrots were coming from I know where they come from and in tiny writing was this the origins of this carrot and and they proclaimed across them British carrots and they had this half union flag on them and I thought this is new this is nuts what is this jingoism on our food when when did our food become politicized in this way and actually being aware of the importance of scotland's brand to our global food and drink market it raised it raised alarm bells for me so in a former life i was a journalist and and i worked for the bbc up in orkney and shetland and and i did a lot of farming and and food and drink related stories up there so i knew what i was looking at and and when i lived in malaysia uh, one of my friends was the buyer for a major supermarket chain and he was the buyer for the whole of Malaysia and Singapore. He had a $30 million annual budget to buy in food and drink and he loved Scotland's brand. We're still in touch and and, and he sent me a photograph recently of his shelves with Scottish branding for St Andrew's Day and he says this stuff is really important and for Christmas coming in, Scottish shortbread, people want to buy that. And I became very concerned about the erosion of Scotland's brand. So I did a bit of digging and found that uh, the Department for International Trade, I suspect, uh, having seen how successful Scotland's brand story was being, thought that they would have a bit of that action and thought that they would just subsume the the four nations and and turn it into great British branding. I think perhaps... um, the, the insanity of Brexit has has propelled them to try and rebrand Britain. However, you have to ask yourself how successful that is going to be. There may well be markets in parts of the world that don't quite know about Scotland as a separate identity, or they maybe think of it as some sort of you know mythical brigadoon place. They don't quite know where it is, but but they certainly when they think of Great Britain, usually Great Britain and England. Um, are pretty you know people talk about the queen of england they don't talk about the queen of britain and and so usually the two are pretty interchangeable so scotland and wales and northern ireland get lost in that equation but actually for a lot of people and farmers in england they get lost in it too so if you are looking at uh, the great british campaign and and defra the department for environment food and rural affairs they are the the so the domestic wing of this campaign. They decided to to promote the Britain is Great campaign. So you've got Scotch whisky on on St Andrew's Day. You had Scotch whisky being promoted with a picture of um, uh, you know a, a guy down in the vaults with a Scottish barrel of Scotch whisky, and you've got peaty overtones on the on the lighting and. And they have got Scotch is great Britain and Northern Ireland. Not one mention of Scotland on our Scotch whisky. And that is a huge problem. 
if you're talking about somebody taking your brand identity, can you imagine if one burger chain was to slap the branding of another burger chain uh, you know, you, you, on, on, on those products? It would be a huge outcry. And that really is what it comes down to. Uh, apart from the jingoism of, of flags on food, I mean, we don't we don't see Spanish grapes being sold in this country with uh, the Spanish flag on it. it just good, clear labels. I I remember the heady days when when there weren't flags on food, just clear labels. And clear labels are good for consumer confidence. You've said that the campaign is not about pasting flags, the Scottish Saltire, the Union Jack or whatever on products. And yet that's when I've seen, at least as an outside observer, some of the the more serious rows on social media is when, for example, as you said, the the package of carrots or uh, a package of strawberries are suddenly packaged uh, that are grown in Scotland and produced there are suddenly packaged as "Quote unquote British strawberries," and the and the packaging does in fact feature the Union Jack. Uh, so you're not suggesting then that everything grown in Scotland should have a saltire planted on it somewhere, but instead that it should at least be clearly labeled as a product of Scotland. Yes, I mean I think let's get rid of all the flags. Although I have to say I, I said this um, uh, to to some uh, food and drink producers. Uh, Scottish food and drink producers, and there were howls, and they were no, no, no. When we go on international trade fairs, we put up saltires and we put up tartans so that people recognise us. Uh, and but the, different messages work for different countries. So in uh, in Nigeria, for example, they recognise tartan as being Scottish, but they don't recognise a saltire. So ah. I think that I think that that branding issues. Uh, need to be more nuanced, but certainly the Scottish name is recognised by many around the world. And I think if you take it down just to flags, well, you know, there's there's uh, there's a lot of people couldn't tell you the flag of India from the flag of Mexico. So <laughs> sure. but, you know, so, but there's a uh, but there are clear labels and clear names make a big difference. I, for one, am not that big on, I'm not pro-flag on food, but I can see that that for some people, if you're looking for, uh, especially perhaps if you're looking at Cambodia uh, or, or Russia, where the... Um, you know where the, the 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 script isn't the same, or the the alphabet isn't the same, or, or the way that we write is not the same. Perhaps if you have a product which is being exported, then that makes a handy shorthand for people who perhaps you know if if the if the packaging hasn't been specifically developed for that area, I can see that there there can be a useful visual shorthand. Uh, I think that the clearer the label, the easier it is for, for, for sales and product recognition. And there's a reason why people use logos, you know, because they, they translate internationally. And all the evidence shows, if you're talking about groceries, for example, you've got six seconds to make a sale. When somebody is walking along that supermarket aisle and their eye lingers, you have the maximum of six seconds or the average of six seconds to, to, to get their attention and get the sale. Now, if people are having to look for a product, the more work somebody has to put into buying a product, the less likely you are to have that instant recognition and right. make that sale. They'll settle for whatever is easy to find. Well, they'll just grab what's on the shelf yeah. and go. Yeah. And, and it's funny that you mentioned the flag because um, a bit of a personal aside here, the, the state of Texas flag is similar to the Puerto Rican flag. And when we talk about social media, there is an emoji for the Puerto Rican flag. There is not one for the Texas flag. And I've seen friends of mine who are native, like myself, native Texans, using the Puerto Rican emoji either out of ignorance or in some cases I've seen people just say, well, it's close enough, you know, until we get a Texas flag emoji, I'll use this one. And I'm thinking, how ridiculous is that? So you're right. There are times, I'm sure, when the flag can be um, a visual uh, supplement, especially if you have language issues, as you're saying. Um, but maybe it's not always the best idea. And in Scotland, and I'm curious about your take on this as well, because I know you have uh, vehemently said this campaign is not political and the saltire has become, like it or not, closely associated with the Yes campaign for independence in Scotland. And so by branding things with the Scottish flag, does that then start to, as you say, politicize 
Scottish produce where perhaps it shouldn't be? Well, this campaign, I make a point of, of keeping it strictly politically neutral and neutral on the, the constitutional question. The campaign grew out of Yes, Kiri, uh, which is a pro-independence movement. But for, for ethical reasons, I think that it is really important that the campaign stays completely politically neutral. And, and I work really hard to be ethical about it because whatever my political views and the political views of, of, of my neighbours or those within my community, we all have to eat. And one of the things which unifies us at the end of the day uh, is that that it doesn't matter what political outlook you have. At community events, you know, we all sit down together and we all eat. And I think that, that food is one of those fundamental issues which we can come together over and and you know, break bread over and agree to disagree or, but you know, it's one of those unifying things. So I've made, I've worked really hard genuinely to keep this campaign neutral. However, I would turn your question the other way around. And I would say that perhaps the placing of the union flag and calling Scottish produce British has been an overtly political move. Mm, yes. Yes, and and I would agree with that. I would I wouldn't argue that. And, and you point out, and I think rightly so, um, it's not just an issue for Scotland. The brand there could there there perhaps is not, but there easily could be a campaign for keep the Northern Ireland brand, keep the Wales well, brand, because yeah. those farmers and producers are suffering when their products are labeled as British as well. Well, interestingly enough. Uh, this isn't an issue in Northern Ireland because there are rules about what you can and can't put on your food because of Ireland's sorry history of, of the British uh, involvement there. So the Great British Campaign has not been featuring in Northern Ireland. Can you imagine if in Northern Ireland uh, suddenly all your food was being called Great British? <laughs> um, that 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 uh, that that would um, cause no end of. of potentially lethal con, uh, upset about it. But for, for Wales and for farmers in England, this is an issue. And it goes, it goes beyond just the labels on the food. So again, this, this miserable mess which Scotland did not vote for, which the, this mess which is Brexit, um, this is going to impact massively on many aspects of Scotland's economy. One of those aspects is what is called a PGI, the Protected Geographic Indicator. That is a European protection. And Scotland has 17 PGI products, Scotch beef, Scotch lamb, um, the Arbroath Smoky, Stornoway Black Pudding, and several others. As a whole, the United Kingdom has got 86 PGI. Now, Scotland's membership of the EU is done uh, as part of the UK. And so the UK has the protections that they have the, 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 the PGIs under the aegis of the United Kingdom. Now, these are hugely important uh, in terms of value-added uh, income. So if you think about the value that, for example, champagne has, um, or the value that Scotch whiskey is. Scotch whiskey is different because it has it has legal possession of its own PGI, but but nobody else that trades with Europe uh, or has deals with the European Union can, for example, call their beef Scotch beef. So that that that's big. I mean that that's that's like your. It's almost like a trademark. And it's as close as you can get to a trademark on food within Europe. Now, as part of the Canadian, Japanese, uh, the Canada, Japan, EU, CETA trade talks, the European Union submitted 3,000 PGI names for protection. The United Kingdom government did not submit one PGI for protection, not one. And were, they were asked about that at a Westminster um, select committee hearing and and blithely said, oh, don't worry, we can we can pop them in later if we change our mind, which one way or another, whether consciously or not, was not accurate. So those those protections have gone, and in Canada as part of the trade deal and with Japan, the European com uh, countries. Uh, 
for example, the different hams and and uh, feta cheese and the like, they are they are now protected in Canada and Japan as part of this EU deal. But not one of Scotland's products, nor England, nor Wales, Northern Ireland, as part of its membership of as part of its position as the island of Ireland, they get to keep their PGIs um, because those are Irish. So, for example, um, Irish whiskey, uh, Bailey's Irish cream, uh, products like that, um, Irish creams uh, in terms of the liqueurs, they get to keep. So Northern Ireland, will, will their farmers get to keep that benefit. They're sort of in that liminal position of being both in and out of mm. Europe in some ways. They in theory, should be keeping those um, those protections because they are the island of Ireland. And I, I happened to bump into one of the uh, Conservative government um, uh, ministers in charge of these these uh, negotiate of these deals. Um, he was paying for petrol, and I saw an opportunity, and I went over and I harangued him by the till, and. Um, and I said to him, so what, are you, what is the Conservative government, what is the Scottish office in uh, so the Viceroy of Scotland, what, what are you guys going to do to protect Scotland's PGI products? Uh, and he said, well, of course, we're working to do everything we can to uh, m- ensure there are protections after Brexit. And I said, but you've already failed to do that with the Canada deal. Uh, so why should we trust that you're going to come up with a, a, a deal which is equally beneficial to us if you haven't already, with the benefits, we, the protections we already have, you haven't used them? And he said, oh, well, Canada doesn't like PGI. And I said, but they like them enough <laughs> to support 3,000 European products. Why did you guys not support our farmers? Now, there is a limit to how much of a debate you can have in the crisp aisle, but but I think this raises a serious issue about the credibility that the UK government has in terms of their commitment, not just to Scottish products, but to products from England and, and Wales as well. Because these are value-added products. These, are, these make a big difference to a lot of farmers and smallholders. Those are the differences between surviving and not surviving economically. Now, you tell me after the horrendous xenophobia that has come out about the Brexit, which Scotland did not vote for, how likely is it that great British branding on Scottish food is going to be a selling point across Europe? Yeah. And that's, I mean, that that really is the crux of the issue um, of the entire campaign. You run this campaign, your website says, from your kitchen. Um, where is the campaign today? What kind of support have you received? And, and so what do you do going forward? The campaign has been successful because people across Scotland have supported it. It does come from my kitchen table. I, I do it on a completely voluntary basis. And I'm very lucky that I'm in a position to uh, have found the time to do it in between being a housewife uh, and looking after the kids. And because of my background in journalism and, and my understanding of agriculture and fisheries and uh, my ability to, to research and, and do good PR, I guess that means the campaign has had a, a certain degree of success. And it's all been from the grassroots. That That has been the terrific thing about it, is that I I've put the information out there I've used my skills as a journalist to put out the facts and to speak to people and spread the word. And it has absolutely taken off. Uh, I was invited down to Westminster to give evidence at a Scottish Select Committee uh, earlier last year. And I've been at food and drink conferences where Scotland's brand has been the central theme of the conference. And, and, research has been put into looking again at Scotland's brand and and how important it is. Certainly, I knew the campaign had arrived when I made the front page of the publication, The Scottish Farmer. And I spent a bit of the summer going around uh, the Scottish agricultural shows and handing out leaflets and speaking to farmers and, and food and drink producers. Many of them were aware of the issues because of the campaign, and many were able to inform me further about the issues as they saw it. 
I've had farmers whose political views don't align with mine telling me that they have walked out of supermarkets in disgust when they have seen the way their produce has been marketed. And recently I had a farmer tell me that he couldn't understand it and he didn't know why the change had come about. But he said for a year and a half, they had been asked to put nothing but Great British branding on the strawberries that they were providing for a supermarket. Uh, And he said this year, all of their branding was going to be Scottish branding. And most of the supermarkets had asked them to go back to Scottish branding. And he, I I handed him a leaflet for the campaign. He said, oh, well, maybe that explains it. (laughs) So it has been successful, I think, because it has tapped into a, a vein of people who are very, very concerned about what's coming. I mean, we're talking about food and drink, but it's not just food and drink. We're talking about tweeds and textiles and and tartans and science and engineering and our medical expertise and our veterinary expertise and huge areas where Scotland has, for us, for a small country, we do so well as as most European countries that are, are of a similar size. We do really, really well. We have got engineering excellence. We have got dynamic, uh, highly reputable uh, veterinary services, which are recognized around the world. Now, all of these things are threatened because we will lose the collaborative element that comes with freedom of movement uh, from Europe. Uh, and, and for continental Europe, because of course Scotland is and always has been a European nation. You specifically say this campaign is not about boycotts. When you see Scottish strawberries, for example, that are marketed with the Union flag, the reaction on on Twitter was largely, "Well, I'm never shopping at Tesco or Aldi or whatever the shopping center may be, or I'm never going to buy that product again." Um, and you say that's not the right answer. Boycotting uh, is not the thing to do. Why is that? And what's your thought process on that? Keep Scotland the brand is not a boycott campaign because local communities need local jobs. And if you have, example, if you're living in a small community and you have a biscuit factory in your in your community that employs 800 people, if if this campaign was to start calling for boycotts and that business company faltered and failed, that's 800 jobs gone in Scotland for, for a Scottish community. That's not going to be a progressive or or positive way to approach anything. I mean, how how can you ask anybody to support a campaign that might put them out of a job? And one of the reasons why this is not a boycott campaign is to make it as inclusive as possible because many of the people who work in the supermarkets, who work in the biscuit factories, probably agree with the the ethos of the Keep Scotland the Brand campaign. They don't want to see uh, their products marketed in that particular way. They would like to see clear labels. They would like to be able to, they, they agree with the ethos of the campaign. So I don't want to do anything which is going to, either cost people their jobs, make them feel anxious about their jobs, because quite frankly, there are too many people who who are on zero hours contracts or poorly paid jobs uh, who have enough to worry about without worrying about losing their job because of of a boycott campaign. Uh, And this is absolutely not a boycott campaign. And this is not a protectionist campaign in any way. I mean, I I welcome... uh, I welcome trade to, with, and from any nation, and I wouldn't want to. I wouldn't want for a farmer in England or Wales or Scotland whose product is being labelled in this way, almost certainly without their permission or approval, to suffer because because of an act which is being forced upon them. So, I choose to shop my local supermarket. Uh, even though there are many products there which are labelled in a way which I don't think is helpful. But I'm on first-name terms with the local manager uh, because he knows exactly how I feel about the campaign. And actually, I know that many of the supermarkets in in the, the, the villages and towns around where I stay, that their managers feel very similarly to the way I do. One of the managers has told me that he knows that he can sell twice as much produce if it is labelled as Scottish than when it is labelled as British. And that's how he knows that this is not a marketing campaign. He says that this campaign, in his experience, 
the, 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 the great British campaign and his experience is hurting sales. So it is not a business decision for many of the supermarkets to, to be keeping this campaign up. Uh, so, so many of the shops actually support the Keep Scott and the Brand or many of the shop workers support the Keep Scott and the Brand campaign. And I think it's very important to have a campaign which is positive and actually quite upbeat and quite cheerful. So we started what's called the Send It Back campaign. Uh, it's not my idea, so I can tell you I think it's brilliant. It was just so simple. Uh, there was a woman at that, one of the, the talks I was doing who said, well, why don't we just send it back? And I looked at her and, and sort of muttered something under my breath because I hadn't thought of it first because I really <laughs> like it. And, and, and basically, it's so simple. Uh, up until now, I've been saying to people, you know, take a photograph of it, email it, uh, you know, e email the photograph and, and explain why you think supermarkets should keep swapping the brand and email it to, to, to customer services. And and her idea is, is beautiful in its simplicity and it means that everyone can get involved. And so if you buy a product, if you know, if, if if you've got a Scottish cauliflower and a British cauliflower, and they're both they're both from farms in Scotland, and if you choose to buy the the Scottish cauliflower, oh, that's brilliant. That's you reinforcing the positive behaviour you want to see. But if there's a product which you can't you can't find an alternative in that in that shop, and you want to buy that because you either for for because there's no choice or because the price means that uh, the price fits better with what your you can afford then buy the product you know don't feel bad about it you buy the product you're supporting a scottish farmer buy the product but make sure the packaging is clean and dry because we want to be respectful of the people handling it and um write a nice letter and some people have come up with uh, with with ditties or i wrote some doggerel which was a uh, very bad verse but but you know uh, oh, it does make me butter when I can't find my butter. You know that kind of thing. <laughs> Some people sent Christmas cards, mm. um, and and making it upbeat, and then sending it to customer services. Uh, and if you if you go online through your search engine, then then you can find the the free post uh, address for most supermarkets. And um, and so we've been sending it back that way. Um, and that it sends a message on a number of levels. It sends a message about uh, you're able directly to go to customer services and say, I have an issue with this and I don't agree with it. And please, you know, please, can you understand this is why I have an issue with this? Um, it means that the supermarket is is uh, it's a valid customer service issue. So you're legitimately sending it back and, and customers, the, the, the supermarket has to pay for that. Um, it means that somebody at customer services is actually handling it and then having to dispose of it. It also sends a message about all the amount of unnecessary plastic, which is single use plastic, which mm, is on product. Yeah. So there are a number of reasons why uh, I think positive campaigning makes a difference. And Again, you always have to remember that the people that you're dealing with may well agree with your values uh, and may well want to promote um, Scottish and English and Welsh and Irish produce because they recognise that local provenance is good for business. I guess final question then is um, for listeners who, uh, and, and about 60 to 70% of my listeners are actually in Scotland and the UK, uh, and about 30% here in the US. Uh, so for listeners, particularly those in Scotland who are um, uh, hearing this and maybe learning of the campaign for the first time or learning of it in some detail and want to get involved with the campaign, how can they do that? What, what's available to them? Who do they contact? Um, how do they become a part of Keep Scotland the Brand, the campaign? Uh, Keep Scotland the Brand has a Facebook page. We have a website and we have a Twitter page. Uh, just, just go to your search engine and put in Keep Scotland the Brand and you will find lots of options. If you go to the website, then there are links through that to Facebook and, and Twitter. But if you go onto Twitter uh, and Facebook, you'll find us pretty easily. Um, there are leaflets which can be handed out. Uh, I've been doing a, a talking tour of Scotland and, and there may well be a talk near you. Um, but if people email me, then... Um, or, or contact me through through the, the, the Facebook or the Twitter pages then uh, I can put them in touch with their local groups because I am 
so moved uh, by the generosity of people around Scotland who are supporting this campaign that I can in all honesty tell you that no matter where someone is in Scotland, there's going to be a group near them with leaflets handing them out. There's a group in Ross and Sutherland who have leafleted over 90% of the households in Ross and Sutherland. Now, anybody who knows Scotland knows that that is no mean feat. Um, and, and they have been out and they have gone around every door, 90% of the doors, um, because they think this is so important. And and the the local marts, the, the, the places where people go to sell their livestock, they're taking, many of them are taking leaflets to allow for them to be distributed or picked up by farmers uh, because people care about this so much. So if anybody is interested in finding out more, there's going to be a group near you with leaflets. We have handed out over 300,000 leaflets in the last year, and there's another 200,000 out there. That's almost one in 10 of the Scottish population uh, is near a leaflet or has been handed a leaflet. I mean, that, that's that's pretty amazing when you consider this is entirely voluntary and entirely grassroots led. My thanks as always to my guest Ruth Watson, founder of the social media campaign hashtag Keep Scotland the Brand. To learn more about the campaign, you'll find a link to their website and social media platforms in our show notes for this episode at www.underthetartansky.scot. In a programming note, I'm thrilled to announce that this podcast is now part of an exciting new Scottish online radio station, RadioHaver.com. The station features musical programming 24-7, while the evening primetime hours are filled with podcast talk, interviews, radio dramas, and comedy. Under the Tartan Sky airs each Thursday evening at 8 p.m. GMT in Scotland. That's 2 p.m. here at the studios in the Central Time Zone in the USA. I'll leave it to you to figure out the time conversion where you're listening from. You can also find the show anytime on demand at Apple Podcast, Google Play Music, and other listening apps. If you enjoy what we do, the courtesy of a rating or even better, a brief review is always appreciated. In the coming weeks, we'll be talking to one entrepreneur who uses tartan as an art form. We'll talk about bespoke tourist services and we'll chat with sculptor Andy Scott, creator of the Kelpies and so many more amazing creations. Until then, I'm Glenn Moyer. Tapaleb, I guess Alpha Kubra. Under the Tartan Sky is a production of Glenn L. Moyer Creative Communications. For show notes and more information on this and all Under the Tartan Sky episodes, please visit our website at www.underthetartansky.scot. Have an idea for a future episode? Well, get in touch via email at info at underthetartansky.scot. Visit and like our page on Facebook and follow us on Twitter, where our username is at underscore tartan sky. That's the underscore symbol tartan sky. And thank you for listening. <laughs>